This is the Pet Podcast on Pets.ca, episode number 50, all about vaccinating our dogs, an interview with Dr. Lee. Hey there, pet lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 50th Pet Podcast on Pets.ca. My name is Marco, and as always, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. So this is our 50th podcast, our golden one. It's been a number of months since we put one out, and I apologize for that. You know, summer and slowdowns, etc. But we have uh, two good podcasts uh, coming in a row. This podcast is going to be all about vaccinating our dogs, and the next one is going to be all about vaccinating cats. We actually put uh, suggestions out to the members of our pet forum, and uh, Winston was kind enough to suggest uh, vaccinating our pets, and uh, I discussed it with Dr. Lee. He agreed it was a good topic, and uh, we're going to make it a two-parter because cats and dogs in one podcast is just too long. This one is going to be about dogs, and then in a couple of weeks, uh, it's going to be about cats. Speaking of our pet forum, it's such a wonderful community of pet lovers, and there's so many people that uh, help pet lovers each day. Thank you so much for doing so. Uh, if you're a pet lover and you're looking for more information and you want to interact uh, with our community of members, I do encourage you to sign up. It's free, pets.ca slash forum. There's a link on every page on pets.ca, and uh, it's a great way to make yourself part of our community. This podcast is a rather long one, so I'm not going to talk about anything else. Let's just get right into the podcast with Dr. Lee now. So I'd like to welcome back uh, Dr. Lee to our podcast. It's been a couple of months since our last podcast, actually, but uh, summer vacation and things slowing us down. But we're back in full force now, and uh, we have a two-parter coming up. We're going to talk about vaccines, and we're going to talk about vaccines in both uh, cats and dogs, and we're going to start with dogs first. Before we get into it, uh, welcome back, Dr. Lee. A pleasure to have you back on our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Let's start off uh, right away. We're going to talk about uh, vaccines and dogs. My first question was going to be, uh, why do we vaccinate? But before we even get into the why, let's just define what a vaccine is and how it works, if that's okay. Uh, vaccines are injections that are used to try to prevent disease. And the way that it prevents disease is by making the body think that it has an infection when, in fact, it does not. For this, there's several different types of vaccines. Right now, In uh, there's four uh, different methods, but there's three typical ones that are used in dogs and cats. And they're all basic different ways of trying to, again, fool the immune system to think that we have an infection when we don't. And they'll, we'll use either uh, killed bacteria or viruses, which are basically pieces of them. We will take mod what's called modified live viruses, where they're an actual live, the live virus of what we're trying to prevent. But it will be what's called an attenuated or weakened form, so it cannot cause uh, disease. And then there's a uh, new and exciting uh, technology called recombinant technology, which kind of takes the best of both worlds, works in a different different mechanism, maybe a little, uh, a little bit safer, but has a lot of great advantages. Again, all all vaccines are there to, to try to confuse the immune system to think that we have infections when we, in fact, do not. Why do we do this? And uh, we just kind of said it, but I mean, vaccines are a big, big thing. And these questions come up very, very often, not on our bulletin board, but every pet owner, vaccines cost money and they wonder why they have to vaccinate their pets. And we'll get into, you know, outdoor pets and indoor pets. 
but why in general do we vaccinate? That's a great question, and we a lot of times we will have people ask why, and many times we get the question too late. Um, it is like the horse in the barn door. The time to vaccinate is early. Um, we need to get the puppies. They should be starting between six and eight weeks of age with vaccines um, because our goal is we need to get the vaccines to the pet before they see the, the disease. Do all dogs or all puppies need to be vaccinated? Yes, all puppies should be vaccinated. With what and what type of vaccines, that becomes a bit more of an open question. Um, there's also a couple misconceptions that all vaccines last a lot longer than we think, and all vaccines are the same. That could not really be further from the truth. There's a, large, a wide range of what types of vaccines are available, uh, which ones are most safe, and which ones are needed. But as a general rule, every puppy should have vaccine. Good answer. And I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here because we're responsible pet owners, and, and most of the people on pets.ca are. What happens if we don't vaccinate our dogs? It's a risk game at that point. There are... Again, I have patients that come in that will be a year old that have never had a vaccine. And those are very, very lucky pets. And I'm very happy that they're, they've never gotten ill. But certain diseases like parvo, it can blow into your backyard. It's stable in the environment for up to two years. It is always a possibility. So for those, if we do not have the vaccine then the body does not have an immune system that's ready to handle it if it comes in contact. So if we knew that the pet was never going to be exposed to an infection, absolutely, we do not need vaccines. But that is not something that we're ever going to be able to guarantee. Okay, and that's, and that's really good to know. Um, again, I'm always curious to know about worst-case scenarios. So yes, we need to vaccinate our pets, and yes, unfortunately, some people won't. And yes, obviously, we're uh, incurring a risk if, if we don't vaccinate our pets. How risky is it? You know, how common do you see dogs that aren't vaccinated come against problems? Depends on which ones you look at. But I would say that with Parvo, you can talk to probably any veterinarian and they're seeing it on a regular basis. There's typically a seasonal aspect to it. Last week, I had four parvo cases. They would have been prevented if vaccine had, had been in place. Some of the other viruses we don't necessarily see as often, and it depends really very much regionally. Uh, distemper is something that because of the proper use of vaccines, we're seeing it less commonly. But I've also worked in areas that we were dealing with quite a bit of distemper. So unfortunately, it is a little bit regional. Uh, it does vary. Very good to know. In terms of, and, and again, because you're mentioning parvovirus, could you tell us just very, very quickly, we don't want to make this about parvovirus, but just get into parvovirus for maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. What is it and how bad is it? Uh, parvo is an intestinal virus that causes inflammation from one end of the pet to the other, leading to general feeling not well, uh, not feeling well, vomiting, diarrhea, and it will quickly can lead to death through uh, dehydration and blood loss. And of course, it's highly contagious. Highly, highly contagious. How is it spread? 
Um, it, again, it can blow right into your backyard. It can walk in with your shoes. It does not have to be direct contact from another infected pet. But it can be direct contact. It can be direct contact, uh, yes. Okay, now let's get into indoor versus outdoor a little bit. Let's get into a little bit about uh, the regional differences. Or should we be talking about core vaccines before we do that? I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Well, that's a good way of going. You know, I think we can kind of do both at once. The core vaccine are basically what a core vaccine is, is something that's universally accepted as everybody needs. And those are going to include your um, parvo, uh, virus, your distemper virus, and a virus called adenovirus type 2, which is a uh, virus that attacks the liver, and then rabies. So we basically, we're looking at two vaccines. One's a combination that includes uh, the distemper, parvo, and adenovirus, and then the second is rabies. And those are going to be something that pretty much wherever you're at, this is something that we should be vaccinating against. Rabies is not something that we see a lot, but because it's something that is infectious and deadly to people, uh, it has been established as a core vaccine. When should their first vaccine come, this core vaccine? When should it come? Typically, uh, six to eight weeks of age will be when we start the puppy series for the combo vaccine. And if by chance we adopt a dog that's not been vaccinated, are we going to be giving these core vaccines uh, immediately upon adoption or shortly after adoption? Uh, shortly after adoption, a little bit depends on how the pet's feeling, health status, where we got them from. It, it is important to remember that with vaccines, it does take a couple weeks to start to to have the effect. When we give the vaccine, there's a delay time from which there's protection. Also, when we talk about the puppy vaccine, that takes us back to the different types of vaccines. And I would recommend that if we have the option uh, to consider recombinant vaccines, because they will give puppies, they may give them better protection. And does that differ from adopting an adult dog? When you're dealing with an adult dog, again, if we don't know the vaccine history, um, vaccines are definitely a good idea. With an adult dog, whether we use a standard modified live or a uh, recombinant uh, vaccine, it, it's less probably less less important on which one. Let's talk a little bit now about uh, non-core vaccines and geography and what types of risks are out there and what should people be looking for based on their geography? Based upon geography, I think they need they should be asking their veterinarian what is around. Some of the non-core vaccines also, like Bordetella, which is the basic vaccine for kennel cough. Um, I don't know if that's so much geography as far as state, but as are we going to grooming situations, are we going to boarding situations, that would be something that then we need to consider with Bordetella. Uh, the other vaccines that we think about, there's a uh, bacterial infection, infection called leptospirosis. This vaccine is... It's a bit controversial as the vaccine does not stop you, stop the pet from being uh, infected, um, but it will stop clinical signs. This is a bacteria that is also contagious to people. So there's a little bit of a concern with the vaccine of are we creating uh, dogs that are shedding this bacteria without showing clinical signs. 
as the bacteria is typically restricted to tropic and subtropic regions, there's many parts uh, of the world that will have it and many parts that, that will not. Another non-vaccine is Lyme disease, which is transmitted by ticks. Uh, and really, even if we have ticks, not all tick areas are going to have Lyme disease. So it's definitely something that we need to talk to talk to your veteran, veterinarian as to whether or not it's a, a local issue. Right. And when we mean local, we really do mean local because, I mean, if we're talking geography, we can go large, the world, and, and small, our street corner, and there's going to be everything in between. Um, you know, it, you know, in some areas, maybe a tropical area, you know, some of those areas might be less tropical in quotation marks, even though the whole thing is called tropical. It really does matter what's going on in your particular area, let's say within uh, five or 10 square miles of where you live, as opposed to your whole state. Is, is that accurate? That's a very good point. I mean, again, one, one dog's uh, geography may extend not much further than the couch. And right. then there may be another one that is uh, a world traveler and headed into all types of uh, risky areas. Right. But certainly if your dog is going into, you know, for like in areas where there's Lyme disease, if they're going into wooded areas or dogs love dog parks or mixing with other dogs or they're regular getting, regularly getting groomed, well, then the risks increase, don't they? And then we should definitely be thinking about these non-core vaccines in order to further, you know, help our dogs fight off potential risks. Right, and that's a very good point. When we're dealing, when we mix other dogs, we have to remember we don't know where those other dogs are, are being. So if your dog may not leave the, leave the, uh, the backyard, if they're seeing some dogs that perhaps are and are going into those wooded areas, um, then we may want to rethink which vaccines we're using. And I know like a lot of people now are going even more and more, people are enjoying dog parks. They want their dogs to meet other dogs. Uh, they're finding camaraderie with other dog owners. You know, if, if dogs frequent dog parks, would you naturally advise people to get the uh, Bortadella vaccine, for instance? That vaccine, I would. I do like there's two different versions of it, and certainly there's the intranasal version of the Bordetella, and it has such a low level of side effects that I think that, especially if we are going to dog parks or grooming, that that is a, uh, a vaccine that's well worth, well worth the time. Yeah, especially because, you know, we, we may encounter dogs and dog owners that are less responsible than we are. I mean, of course, we're, of course there's a risk that we're going to encounter dogs like this, isn't there? That's a very good point. I guess I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we're not going to frighten people, but we just want to make people aware of the risks. If they're, you know, dogs lick, other, dogs lick other dogs and exchange fluids and breath sometimes, you know, and if indeed there is a risk, as there obviously is, you know, it's obviously prudent to be discussing this with your veterinarian. I, I guess that's all I just want to reiterate and, and strongly um, advocate, you know, talking to your vet about, you know, how about the risk level for your particular dog. Well, and there's risks on either, you know, on both, you know, both directions. And I think that that's, you know, an important thing to bring up is that there's, you know, certainly there's a lot of thought both on the internet and in the veterinary community of we're worried about over-vaccinating. Um, but there's also very much a risk of under-vaccinating. And we need to find the medium that's correct for, you know, for each of our pets. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to chat about uh, the risks of vaccination toward the end. But for now, can we talk about boosters? What are they? Why we need them? How useful are they? With the boosters, when we give the vaccine, again, the vaccine is trying to stimulate the immune system and make it think that it has a vac- has an infection that, that it does not. And it will typically hit a couple different branches of our immune system, both what's called cell-mediated immunity and um, what will create antibody levels. As time goes on, those antibody levels can fall, and the, the body stops having the protection over time. So reboostering uh, will have a couple different effects. One, on an initial series, if the pet, the pet may or may not respond as well as we would like to the first vaccine, and so a booster will basically reiterate the importance to the immune system of having antibodies and an immune response for the, for the problem. The yearly boosters are again designed to try to keep that those levels those levels up. Depending on what we're vaccinating for, the requirement of the booster seems to change. There has been some uh, studies to show that some of the uh, vaccines for for viruses can last many years. There's some thoughts that some of the parvovirus vaccines may last as long as seven seven years or more. With that said, the vaccines that are for uh, bacteria like Bordetella, leptospirosis, or vaccines towards something um, like toxins like the rattlesnake vaccine, we know that these uh, antibodies do not last that long. They, they last much less than a year. And so we have to reboost them much, much sooner. Uh, dogs that are getting rattlesnake vaccines, if they're in high risk, situations like search and rescue. Uh, some of those dogs are vaccinated every four to six months. So again, it really does uh, depend on the exposure of any particular dog and the geography of any particular dog. In terms of the core vaccines, let's say, you know, you're in an average safe area in quotation marks where some of these other risks uh, are not that high for you. In terms of the core vaccines, how often uh, should we booster them? Do we need to booster them? How often we should boost them is something that uh, that's a question that you should ask the veterinarian. AHA, which is the American Animal Hospital Association, they have come out with guidelines. Their guidelines for the combo vaccine, the core Semper Parvo adenovirus, their recommendation is following the puppy should get the puppy set, followed by a year, a one-year booster, and then uh, every three years after that. Great information, great information. I have another note marked and uh, I got to ask it. So there is a lot of controversy on uh, the reactions that uh, dogs may have to vaccines. Sometimes we hear of dogs having terrible reactions to vaccines and uh, we'll occasionally hear horror stories about dogs dying from getting a vaccine or or their reaction to the, to the vaccine. Could we talk about that a little bit? How, how common is it um, and signs that we should look for, let's say? As far as being common, it's not common. Does it happen? It does. And can't, do dogs die from vaccines? Uh, unfortunately, that, that, is, that does happen. It also happens similarly with people. Anytime that there's vaccinations on humans, there's you know, equal, equal risks. And the risks 
with vaccine reactions, what type of reactions is a little bit wide. There, there is a somewhat common reaction, which is just kind of a non-specific reaction where the body will feel sore, grumpy, and not feel so well. That's because, the, again, the body thinks that it has an infection that it does not, and it's mounting an immune response. That's fairly normal and not something that we worry too much. The two big areas that we worry about with vaccine reactions is, one, a, an acute anaphylaxis, which is um, where we will give the vaccine in anywhere from seconds to minutes to several hours from the vaccine. Uh, the patient can have an acute, you know, severe allergic response. They can have uh, facial swelling, pale gums. Uh, they may just have acute collapse or difficulty breathing. Uh, this is a an emergency medical situ- situation. If it's addressed properly and quickly, most will do very well. But it's still again a very scary, scary problem. The other reaction, and this is, I think, where a lot of the controversy has come in over the perhaps over vaccination that has been seen, is that when we are dealing with medications that are stimulating the immune system. In some of these older and adult dogs, we will start to see wide numbers of immune-mediated disorders, and we think that many of them may be linked to to the vaccines, and we can have a delay that occurs anywhere from a month or so from the vaccine and can lead to certain immune-mediated problems like IMHA. Uh, IMHA is what's uh, stands for immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. And what will happen is the body basically just becomes allergic to its own red blood cells and will start to take out all of its red blood cells. And you'll have a pet that goes from feeling fairly normal to uh, severe anemia where the red blood cells are just plummeting. And those dogs end up requiring uh, immune medication uh, like steroids and cyclosporin, um, but may also require blood transfusions to to survive. And that's and that's obviously very very important stuff to know. From a practical point of view, I guess based on your experience, how often do you see the serious um, the serious reactions like anaphylactic shock? Yeah, that's part A. And then for the the second part, the um, you know the reactions that may take uh, you know a week to a month. How often are are you seeing that? I guess I just want to establish or I guess not established, but talk about degree of risk just ever so slightly. Is it something you see one on a hundred times, one on 10 times? How often should, you know, we're always concerned about our pets and and we're we're hearing conflicting information. How often are you seeing these reactions? Not very often on on either front. I would say that the anaphylaxis we will see uh, quite a bit more common than some of the delayed reactions. With that said, when it's your pet, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, one out of ten or one out of a million. If it's your pet, it's it's very scary and it's a very big deal. The anaphylaxis uh, will happen more often with smaller animals, uh, but again, can happen uh, with any size pet. One thing to remember is that when we give the vaccine, the same amount of uh, vaccine of vaccine is given whether we're a half-pound chihuahua or a 200-pound mastiff. And that actually makes sense. So, like, yeah, a 200-pound mastiff has, has more weight to absorb the vaccine than a little pug. 
Right, and the reason that it's given that way is that the dose is not based upon weight, but based upon immune system. Uh, however, with that said, we do see uh, some of the anaphylaxis being more common with smaller dogs, and there's there's reason to think that it may have to do with that that volume change. I'm sorry, are you seeing it week? Are you seeing it daily, weekly, monthly? Probably yearly. Um, the anaphylaxis maybe several times a year. Um, maybe. I think that, again, as a lot of uh, the vaccines are improving, uh, again, certain types of vaccines will be more apt to have some of these issues than other vaccines. I have noticed that as we've gone with, I've started using the recombinant technology, um, a lot of the delayed reactions and the more serious reactions, I'm seeing less of them. And that's really good to know because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, even we humans, you know, if we need surgery and, and the risk of serious injury or death is like at 40 or 50%, we're not going to do it. What you are suggesting to me is that, yes, there is a possibility of the effects, but the likelihood of those effects are small. Correct. That should, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong again, that should encourage people to vaccinate because the risks, although they are there, you can't eliminate risk. But if the risks are, the risks are small, it makes sense to vaccinate. Yes, and I, I encourage everybody to vaccinate their dog. I think that vaccines should be done on a regular basis, but I don't think that we need to be over-vaccinating or using vaccines that are not justified for the risks that our pets are having. So I think that when we sit down, and I know that when I sit down with my clients as far as vaccines, I don't have a blanket vaccine protocol for each, for all pets. I sit down and try to have a tailored plan for each individual pet based on breed uh, and lifestyle. Right, which is, of course, why, um, you know, in addition to the self-research that people do by reading books and on the Internet, they actually have to have a conversation with a vet about vaccinations and not just go in and say, I want this, 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 this. Sit down and, I mean, your better vets will sit down and, and explain the risks, won't they? Absolutely. You know, I think that going on and I think that, like you said, the discussion is should be an important part of the of the vaccine. And maybe that's an important discussion that occurs each time we go in, because there may be there may be subtle changes that we're seeing with either uh, the vaccines, the vaccine protocols, the local areas or the pet life that may change what what is recommended. Great information thus far, Dr. Lee. And, uh, you know, as veterinary technology and or medications and or knowledge uh, advances, I, I know there have been some, some changes in vac vaccination protocols in general. Are there vaccines that are not recommended anymore or are there vaccines that are too risky? There, there are some. And there are some that are, that again, AHA, the American Animal Hospital Association, has come out and say, said that they do not recommend anymore. One of them is corona vaccine, which we do see, do see commonly. I wouldn't say that it's associated with a lot of reaction. So I think that's, again, why sometimes we'll still see it. However, just due to the fact that the clinical disease is not being that prevalent, uh, it's just not recommended anymore. It's, again, something that we don't need to be injecting our pets with. Uh, for most, most all the pets. There are some possible shelter indications with this, but in general, it's not something that the average dog needs anymore. 
There's another vaccine uh, for Giardia. Giardia is a type of protozoal, which is a bacteria-like parasite. Um, it does affect dogs and cats. There is a vaccine for it. It does have some applications for dogs that may have high, high risk of this or have recurrent infections. Uh, it can also be used in dogs that are having a Giardia infection that they cannot get rid of. However, as a general use, it's just not recommended for, for the average dog. Um, and then finally, there are a few combo vaccines out there that are no longer being recommended uh, as they don't, they're not being used. Okay, so I think uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude. This is one of our longer podcasts. Um, for those listening, of course, we're going to put some extra information in the show notes. I know Dr. Lee um, has some information on his own site, acerlux.com. Link again uh, to go in the show notes. And, uh, you know, hopefully we have uh, taught uh, people a thing or two about vaccines and uh, hopefully allayed uh, some of the myths that uh, surround vaccines. It's kind of a hot topic. And um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lee, for your time in, in helping uh, to explain it to us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again to Dr. Lee uh, for doing this great podcast and informing us all about vaccination and giving us the benefit of, of his great experience on the topic. As mentioned in the main part of the podcast, there's going to be some links, and you should check the show notes for those links. And uh, one of them is a link uh, to Dr. Lee's website, acerlux.com, A-C-E-R-L-U-X.com. And uh, there's loads of other information on his site as well, including some extra notes about uh, vaccinating our dogs and some other links uh, as well will be in the show notes. If you like this podcast and you want to get it automatically, the easiest way to do so is just go to the front page of the blog, pets.ca forward slash blog, click uh, subscribe in iTunes or subscribe in Google Reader, and then whenever you open any of those applications up, if uh, we've put out a podcast, you will get it automatically. Our next podcast is not going to take a few months, it'll just take a few weeks, and it'll be about vaccinating cats, as mentioned, so I do recommend you take a listen if you have a new cat or you have any questions about uh, vaccinating cats, because Dr. Lee will likely answer them, and uh, I'll provide common questions to this topic as well. If you want to comment on the podcast, uh, you can comment on any of a number of ways. The best way might be uh, directly through the blog, pets.ca forward slash blog, and you can just click the button that says comments and add your comment to this particular podcast. You can also comment about the podcast directly in the forums. Just make your way to the bulletin board or forum on pets.ca. It's the same thing. There's links on every page in the site, and you can leave feedback there as well. And of course, you can also leave feedback directly, or if you have questions, or if there's any way we can, we can help you get this podcast more easily, you can easily send us an email at pets.ca at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And before we end, I always like to say, you know, give your pets an extra hug, an extra cuddle, you know, spend some time with your pets, go out for an extra walk with your dog, play with your cat a little bit extra. They're only with us for such a short time. Time passes so quickly and uh, the interaction we give them is so appreciated. It really, really is. And uh, just before you're done with all that interaction, as always, give them a little extra scratchy under the chin for Marco. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.